0: Today on Locked On Canadians, Patrick Roy as the Canadians GM. Plus, we've got a special treat for our book club this week.
1: You're Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Welcome to episode 501 of Locked On Canadians. Today's episode is brought to you by Primal Origin Oils. Got beard? Get Primal. Stop the itch and make your beard look healthy and groomed. Check out PrimalOriginsOils.com to learn more about their full line of beard care products. Use the code LOCKEDON for a 20% discount at checkout. My name is Laura Sab, also known as the actor Stick, and I'm joined, but as always, by the wonderful Scott Matla, who is regularly from Hab's Eyes on the Prize. But today is about ten minutes from a disgusting food stunt.
1: Yeah, uh, today today's not going to be kind to my stomach. I think the tums <laughs> are on hand. There's a Walgreens around the corner. of I need Pepto, I am not looking forward to it. But a a promise is a promise to our listeners.
0: And so Scott will be posting this video and I will send a link to any of our listeners who do not follow him on Twitter. If you do follow him on Twitter, if you follow us on Twitter, which you should, the video will be posted there. If not, just literally shoot me an email if you want to watch Scott chug or drink. I don't think we should make you chug it. Uh, Is it a mountain dew, a flaming hot mountain dew? Uh, And that's in honor of our 500th episode that just happened yesterday. We also have a giveaway. So don't forget to look out or listen out for the keyword, the first five episodes of December. So 501 to 505, we'll have a keyword and you need to email us all five keywords and we will enter you into a draw for two amazing or one of two amazing prizes. So we're going to have two winners. Uh, In the meantime, the same time that we drop this episode, the Twitter giveaway will go live. But for now, we need to start by saying that most of this episode is delightful. And it is with one of our favorite people, Sean Fitzgerald. We discuss his book and that's coming up in just in the second segment, but we must first talk about something a little bit less delightful. And that is the prospect of Patrick Waugh running the Montreal Canadiens as he is now campaigning to do.
1: Yeah. So here's the thing is that the Canadians haven't contacted him. He made that clear. He's like, the team has not been in contact with me but I would like to be considered and his next pitch was what do they have to lose by hiring me? And that is the sound of a very desperate man who very much wants to be back in the NHL somewhere. But if the team hasn't contacted you yet one, I don't think they've really contacted probably anyone at this point. Jeff Gordon just got here today, Tuesday, when we're recording this, he's not speaking to the media until Friday. I wouldn't be shocked if, He hasn't made all of his inroads yet. Like, don't take it personally. And my first thought is if your pitch is, well, what do you have to lose? You can't get any worse. That's not a person I want as a GM. Like your thought is, well, you can't be worse than you are now if I'm here. Like that's it. it's the worst possible pitch I've ever seen. And I'm not a fan.
0: And that's the problem is that whenever there's a vacancy in the NHL for a GM position or something like that, we talked about it with Andrew Berkshire on our Monday episode. Anytime there's a vacancy, there's some retread name that retread names that come up. The same thing happens with coaching vacancies. And so while Patrick Raw will be a new thing or a relatively new thing, we saw how it went in Colorado, it will be something new, but all of these decisions are made with, it can't be worse. When people accuse the Canadians of limiting themselves when they're trying to go only by somebody who does speak French, they're talking about things like that. There are plenty of French speaking candidates that are new or that are up and coming. That might be a little bit different that we might have never seen before. And those people deserve as much consideration as Patrick Watt. Now as a player, it was really great to see when he was brought back into the fold as part of the centennial celebrations and uh, you know, they retired his Jersey and that was really, really beautiful to see But at the same time, Patrick Waugh, the legend and the myth is not necessarily what you're going to get in the front office. Like what you want in a front office is somebody who knows how to run a team or who knows how to run an organization in general. It doesn't necessarily have to be a hockey team. We talked again about how Julian Breezeball is. He wasn't technically a hockey guy. He was just a good manager who was brought up into hockey. That's, that's an avenue that I would go. You know, uh, Daniel Breer's name keeps getting thrown around. Matthew Darsh's name keeps getting thrown around. There are a lot of names that keep getting thrown around, but it's important to note that the Canadians haven't contacted Ra. He wants the job and that's great. I want the job. I absolutely want, I want the job of running the Montreal Canadiens. I talk about that all the time on this podcast, literally daily about what I would do with the Canadians. But the point is I'm not suited to be a general manager of the team. The thing with Patrick was like, yes, he does have experience. He has experience coaching. He has experience managing. But what do you have to lose is not what I heard from Jeff Bolson when he was talking about what they wanted in the next general manager. They want long-term success. They want to to take their time and really ensure that they institute long-term success. And that to me means not Patrick Borough.
1: And, and the thing about Wah and his experience is, every time Wah leads a team in some way, shape, or form, there is a fiery disaster at some point. Like, look at his tenure in Colorado. Yeah, they were great for a year, but it was smoke, mirrors, it all came crashing down. And then he took his ball and went home and left Joe Sackick with a mess, which they somehow have gotten out of, which is amazing, actually, considering Patrick Wah left them a disaster. When he was running the Quebec Remparts in the QMJHL, he instructed his own kid to assault someone who didn't want to fight. Why would I want this person around my team? Yeah, he's Patrick Waugh. He's a team legend. Cool. So is Larry Robinson. You think they're calling him for this? I don't think so. I don't need the Patrick Wah thing because anytime something doesn't go right, you have this sort of Damocles where you're waiting for him to just explode and everything gets worse. There is no, there's not a calm demeanor to it. Mark Bergman could have been agitated a lot, but at no point in time do I think he would ever snap in a way like Patrick Wah does. And when Wah's mad, he makes dumb decisions. And it's just not what, you don't want a reactive GM. You want a proactive GM. We had enough reactivism already you need someone who's ahead of the curve and patrick was not that guy and also i don't think he's going to be doing well answering to somebody else jeff gordon's his boss if he goes hey you need to do this and patrick Wa goes uh no then you have the wrong combination and it's never going to work and at a certain point in time one of the two is going to quit and you're back in square one again i don't and this is and people got mad at me on twitter saying say nobody cares well people in quebec care that's that's great and everything Just because Patrick Wall wants to be a GM of the Canadians, like you said, Laura, doesn't mean he's qualified for it. I want to be Canadian's GM. You want to be Canadian's GM. We can make Maple the dog Canadian's GM for all I care as long as they won games. But guess what? It's not how it works.
0: And so we are going to keep an eye on this, obviously. There's going to be a lot of talk about this until the Canadians make their decision. We haven't even had the introductory press conference from Jeff Gorton even just yet. So a lot's happening and we will constantly be talking about it. It's really great when there's news, even though the team is floundering on the ice. There's a lot of news now that's going on, a lot of speculation, and that's super, super fun. But in the meantime, the Locked On Canadians Fancy Pants Book Club is back. It's kind of a twofold thing because we wanted to talk to Sean Fitzgerald about his book. It's called Before... The Lights Go Out, uh, a season inside a game on the brink. It's a fantastic book, but it also became a discussion about youth hockey, about where the game is going in Canada, about some of the barriers there are to having, you know, like putting your children in hockey and things like that. It was a great conversation. He's a delightful person and we're so grateful for all of you for, you know, asking for more book club stuff. And so we're hoping that we can get more authors to come and talk to us. And that's coming up in just one moment. But first.
1: Have you got a beard? You got to get primal. You heard me right. Got beard? Get primal. If you or someone you care about has a beard, it needs to get primal right now. Maybe you're that guy who has never considered the benefits of treating your beard with product. Primal Origin Oils will help stop the itch and make your beard look healthy and groomed. Their goal is to help others look good and live healthier lives through their use of natural oils. The products are free of harmful synthetic ingredients and with low impact on our planet. I got to try some out. It is phenomenal. Makes my beard smell incredible. Soft softens the skin underneath. It is absolutely fantastic. I use it every time that I get out of the shower. Primal Origins makes balms, oils, and whipped butter that are renowned as the best feel in beard products available. This is due to the exotic carrier blend with oils like raspberry seed, rosehip, and chia seed oil. All products are fair trade certified and handcrafted in the U.S. Check out PrimalOriginOils.com to learn more about their full line of beard care products and use the code LOCKEDON for a 20% discount at checkout. The combo gifts make a great holiday gift and if you're shopping for yourself, you'll be glad you did. Not only are the products and dedication to the quality top-notch, the company was founded for a noble cause. The founder, Stephen's mother, was injured in a car accident and the company was started to pay for her recovery and treatment. So we know that every other company claims to have the best, but Primal Origin Oils challenges you to compare their ingredients and feel in-beard to the other companies you've used. We promise you, you will see and feel the difference. Remember the code LOCKEDON gets you 20% off at PrimalOriginOils.com. That's locked on at checkout for 20% off at PrimalOriginOils.com.
0: This holiday season, grab the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar or even better than a candy bar. Built bar filled with so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor covered in chocolate, but amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and fat, and high in protein. You get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. So many flavors you'll have a hard time choosing. Will you have raspberry or mint brownie, cherry or double chocolate, cookies and cream or peanut butter brownie? Bilt Bar gives you that extra fuel you need to bust down those mall doors and battle all the holiday shoppers. Or if you're just standing in endless shopping lines, Bilt Bar can give you that extra something to keep you going. So throw one in your jacket or purse. You never know when you're gonna need it because it's the season of peace and love. Don't bring up your favorite Bilt Bar flavor at family parties. People are so passionate about their favorite flavor. They'll fight for it and things could get out of hand. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order and start those fights about which flavors are the best with your family. Use promo code LOCKED15 at built.com for 15% off your order. Thanks as always for making this your first listen of the day. And now it's time for you all to be rewarded with a giveaway. The first keyword, the episode 501 keyword in the giveaway is Harvey. And now it's time for a segment that we didn't realize was going to take off, but our listeners are responding really well to it. We started the Locked On Canadians Fancy Pants Book Club. And from the name, you can tell that we were joking around about it at first because we wanted to provide one of our listeners who's new to hockey with some book recommendations. And now it's become such a thing that uh, we figured that we would talk to some of the authors of these books that we're recommending about the books, about what you can expect from them and and, and see if you're interested in reading something like this. And so I took like, blatant advantage of a pre-existing friendship and i badgered sean fitzgerald to come on and talk about his book which is called before the lights go out a season inside a game on the brink it is available very widely wherever you order books i checked thank you so much for joining us sean how are you doing
2: I'm doing well, and you didn't badger at all. I think it was one, one DM, and that was it. It's no badgering at all. I'm very happy to, to come on, and thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Of course, and we're so grateful for your time, because this is a thing that I, I thought was really, really interesting about this book was the story of how it came about, sort of the origins of it. And also, you talk about this in the acknowledgments, but I think maybe I'll just ask you, like, how did all of this come about? Where did it start? How did you get the idea? There was sort of like, you, you got a little help with the idea a little bit as well, right? <laughs> (laughs)
2: yeah I was uh, I was laid off I was laid off and unemployed Uh, the Toronto Star had laid me off and I'd also shattered my elbow and had reconstructive surgery all within a few weeks of each other so what I was saying I had a lot of free time (laughs) and a friend of mine Jordan Ginsberg we'd worked together years prior at National Post when I was mobile uh, following a bit of physiotherapy on the surgically reconstructed elbow which I broke playing shinny wear your elbow pads out there kids he uh, he invited me out Um, for a couple of of pints he didn't say why and you know he worked for Penguin Random House Uh, I thought he was just coming to give me a pep talk and give me some free beer and I'm up for both of those things so we went and he started talking about minor hockey uh, about uh, hockey at the grassroots level we've for years for decades um, the story about minor hockey and how expensive it was and you know why Canadians were turning away from it was you know stories that we've been reading for so long he wanted to get at the why and also sort of how those things that we've been talking about for so long how they manifested themselves like how how it impacted the game today and how it's impacting the game moving forward so you know we had a conversation and it it sort of you know left the meeting on the thesis of you know examining Canada's tether to hockey and the various ways that, you know, for so many Canadians, hockey had been the identity of what it is to be Canadian or, or a significant part of the Canadian identity, but how that's changed, how quickly that's changed and the forces behind that change.
0: So this is, this is the part that where I think it's, it's super interesting and exciting because you get to spend an entire season or more than a season covering a team and they gave you access to you know you were you were spending time with them you were basically you got to know them really well and the thing that i really like about the book is that it's kind of it's told the story of that is told but you also contextualize it with historic examples and so for me the question is how why was it peterborough how did that come about and you know how did you find that it exemplified what you're talking about with the experience of hockey in canada
2: well i mean again you know i I had certain freedom, you know, there was no, there was no place that was sort of holding me in Toronto. So we were looking at, you know, is it Saskatoon? Like what is, what is the greatest proxy for, you know, hockey in Canada? You know, that you look at a, you know, a grassroots, you look at, you know, what's a hockey town. So we tossed around a bunch of names, you know, Saskatoon, um, do I go spend a year in Saskatoon? Do we go to Coal Harbor, Nova Scotia? Um, is there a place out in BC? Um, you know, do I go uh, you know, somewhere around Montreal? Um, again, I'd be limited there. You know, quite frankly, full disclosure, my French is, is really, you know, really, really rusty. Um, so it would have been limited to obviously very few pockets of Quebec, but we, we tossed around some names. And ultimately, we came down after a bit of research to Peterborough. Um, which can be, you know, unexpected for some, uh, and it was certainly unexpected for me. But you know, you take a look: the Peterborough Peats are the longest continuously operating junior hockey franchise in Ontario. Um, there is some question about whether that's nationwide as well. Um, and then, you know, Peterborough itself had sort of been a bellwether um, for, you know, a lot of aspects of Canada at large. That, you know, it was this real big proud base of manufacturing for decades and decades. Uh, General Electric, uh, cereal um, they made snowmobiles, canoes, all of this stuff. but over the years, you know as is the story, especially over Southern Ontario and much of Canada, the manufacturing jobs left and the economy had to sort of transition into a service um, slash healthcare economy. And also, I mean, this is probably more of an interesting bit of trivia than an actual uh, something that was applicable to the book. But, you know, um, for years, decades, um, whichever party uh, won the seat in Peterborough went on to form government, not only in Ottawa, but also in Queen's Park in Ontario. So, you know, whichever way the winds were blowing in Canada, um, you could sort of tell by looking at Peterborough. So, We decided for a bunch of reasons that Peterborough could be a stand-in, could be a proxy for, you know, Canada at large, um, both, you know, societally and as a hockey town.
0: The other aspect of it is also there are so many NHLers or their names that we would recognize today that have gone through that system. And you you talk about that very early on in the book that it, you know, there's a lot of hockey history as well. It's not just, you know, the, the, the sociological picture of, of, of Canada and, and, We'll have more with Sean Fitzgerald in just one moment. But first, BetOnline has you covered all season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive that bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. So, I think real quick I want to move on before asking you what it's like to be to be spending so much time with a bunch of teenagers playing hockey. Like the whole idea of your book is it's not too late to save hockey. And so we kind of have to talk about that. Why is the game on the brink? Like, what were you trying to explore with
2: that? We're getting into much. How much time do you have to record here? Uh, <laughs> it's fascinating. And this is something that, honestly, I'm, I'm really passionate about. We have two small children, uh, increasingly, I guess, not as small as they used to be. But uh, we have a 10-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter. And they're both in hockey. But when we started this, um, we were just dipping a toe as parents into minor hockey. Um, I never played minor hockey as a kid growing up. I I wasn't allowed to play till I was 13. Uh, My wife was born and, and raised in Mumbai, India, and didn't move to Canada till she was 10, 11. Oh, God, maybe even 12. Please don't tell her. I don't remember the age. So this was all new to us. And what you find out is, you know, it's not just the stuff that we read about. And I'm not blaming the media here, but you know, that was the stories for years and years Oh, $200 hockey sticks. That's why kids aren't playing hockey. No, it's a bunch more than that. It's, it's not just economics. Like there are very wealthy pockets of Canada where hockey registration has gone through the toilet. It's, it's demographics, it's volunteerism, both the lack of volunteers and the lack of new representative volunteers that you know, through no fault of their own, you have these minor hockey boards, these folks who open the arena doors every Saturday morning at 630 to welcome in happy little goofballs who come up to your hip to play hockey. They've been in those positions for 20, 30 years. So whatever was cool 20, 30 years ago, maybe they don't know a lot about social media. Maybe they don't know a lot about connecting with new and emerging communities. Maybe they don't know a lot about uh, marketing a game that never needed marketing before. Um, Maybe the skill sets aren't there because, you know, there are your, your local accountant or your, your bus drivers, but um, they don't have connections with uh, community centers or, or things of that nature. All of these things that you kind of need in your toolbox to be really inclusive and really accessible and, and make you know, meaningful bridges to um, folks who already aren't in your arena. So all of this came about and it, it was really interesting and became something I, I really wanted to explore that it's, it's not just one thing. It's, it's a whole bunch of things. And it really, you know, some have been addressed better in some regions than others. But, you know, as a whole, um, hockey has done a really terrible job modernizing. And in a way, in a parallel, um, the Peterborough Peets had suffered the same fate that, you know, for years and years, um, the, the battle cry was, hey, Peterborough, it's cold outside now. Come inside, watch the Peets. Um, you know, they, they didn't modernize that, you know, they had receipts and shoeboxes kind of things. Um, they didn't do social media. They didn't do video. They didn't do a lot of things that modern teams were already doing. And you can sort of do a parallel that, you know, hockey in Canada, generally speaking, uh, had done the same to the point where their base was whittling down and whittling down and, and was really, frankly, exclusive.
0: Would you say there's an element of taking it, taking themselves for granted? 100%. I don't know if that's making sense. No, 100%
2: hey, it's cold, Canada, what in the hell are you going to do other than come play hockey? That was really cool, maybe in the 70s, 80s, 90s even. <laughs> um, but like today, kids have video games, breaking news. <laughs> um, <laughs> kids, can, kids can play indoor soccer year round and even small town Canada, um, basketball. There's, there's a bunch of other things. There's, you know, trend lines that are concerning that kids aren't being active enough, period. Hockey, on top of being expensive, on top of being, you know, really, you know, I think we take it for granted that like, you know, if you've never played hockey before, nobody in your family's played hockey before, what equipment do you even need? And like, do you put the socks on before the pants or the shin pads? Or what kind of skates do you need? What's it, you know, elbow pads? um, You know, do you get the the old garter belt? Do you get the old, you know, the, the long johns, all of this stuff has to start somewhere. And if you don't have a grounding in the game, it's really challenging to make that jump to say that, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to like this game, but I'm all of a sudden going to lay out a couple hundred dollars for registration and a couple hundred dollars more for equipment. There's a lot of bridges. Um, a lot of barriers. You can pick whatever metaphor you want. And it's grown up <laughs> around the game and made it more difficult for people to get to.
0: Do you know what I find really interesting is that I have a couple of friends who play in the US and there's some some teams in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in Toronto and Montreal as well. But the friends that I have are the ones they play in the US and they play they play hockey that is inclusive for LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. And um, they always have tryouts and open houses and, and things like that. And um, last year, the Penguins got uh, got involved with my friends in Pittsburgh like that they there's a team called the Tigers and they founded it they met in New York they moved to Pittsburgh and then they're like well let's start a team here and they did and you know they have stuff like that but then when you look at established places and established teams and established programs you don't necessarily see a whole lot of that so i feel like if the baseline is not uh, reaching out to people anymore or trying to be inclusive or trying to open, um, you know, open, open, basically open (laughs) the rink to other people, um, then it's really up to people who are sort of in not not generally visible, also in minority communities. You know, it's up to them to do outreach when it's communities that should be reaching out to them.
2: Can I go on a bit of an aside here? Of course. Um, So I have a couple of prescriptive things um, that I learned through the reporting. And I, I, God, it's been so long. I think some of them are in the book, but some of them can, might not be. So um, there's a parallel here and it's going to sound weird, but in high school football, um, you know, generally speaking, high school students don't walk around with their own football helmets or their own shoulder pads or their own, you know, they'll have their own cleats, but everything else they don't have. So what do the high schools do? The high schools have a bank of equipment that they store God knows where, but, you know, sometimes it can smell a little like um, musty butt, um, but they sometimes clean it off first. Um, But you show up and you say, Hey, I want to play football. And they say, Hey, cool. Here's some football stuff. And they will have um, volunteers, usually, you know, coaches, some teachers um, say, okay, this helmet fits you. These shoulder pads fit you Um, here. are The pads that go in your pants, here are the pants. You got cleats. Cool. Guess what? You're playing football now. And at the end of the year, you bring that football equipment back. So what's the barrier for my entry there? I need a pair of shoes. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, the price you want to pay for shoes is, you know, it it still has some flexibility there, but I don't have the barrier of having to pay $500 for a new football helmet. I basically sign it out like a library book and return it at the end of the year. I believe that one of the way, one of the easiest, quickest ways to knock down some of these barriers is that. You know, minor hockey associations, and you can do this in big cities like Montreal. You can do them in smaller towns, mid sized towns like Peterborough, um, with some creative thinking and local partnerships to say, hey, um, Laura, you've been playing hockey for, you know, seven years. You've got a bunch of equipment, shin pads that you've grown out of, shoulder pads that you've grown out of. How about you give them back to the association? You give them to the association, and in exchange, we'll give you 5, 10, 15% off your registration for next year. Pick a number. Um, But what we're doing is we're incentivizing returning players to give back lightly used equipment. And at that age, it is lightly used. Like we're not asking, you know, 45 year old beer leaguers to give back the elbow pads they've used since they were 12. No, like, you know, (laughs) lightly used stuff. And, you know, you know, find ways to make up the, the, the lost revenue on the registration fee. But what you get is this massive bank of gear so that what you can say is like, look, every year on September 5th, it's open house. You want to come play hockey? Show up at this rink or the storage facility, and we're going to have an army of volunteers to say, okay, hey, look, here's some socks. Here's some shin pads. Here's some hockey pants. Here's some shoulder pads. You know here's some elbow pads here's some gloves you know what it's a good idea to go get your own helmet you can get one for less than 100 bucks just because they have to be new um, we can help you out with skates here's some sticks and you know here's some programming so what you're doing is one you're providing it with no cost two for folks who've never been in the rink before never played um you can say hey look this isn't that intimidating we're going to show you how the gear goes how it should fit how to keep your child safe when they're on the ice and you know what if it turns out that you know jennifer or johnny doesn't like it um then fine there's no cost to you but you can get in the door and start trying that is i think a quick and easy way to break down one of those barriers and the second part of that is exactly what you touched on that you know it is incumbent upon the minor hockey associations to take a look at who's in the arena take a look at who's around in the community and start making necessary inroads so The last part of this really, I said it was a quick aside, now it's rambling, but the Peterborough Peds, um, and this started near the end of the book, um, but it's continued on subsequently, um, they've reached out to the New Canadian Centre directly. And the New Canadian Centre is this absolutely integral, wonderful organization of Peterborough that helps, you know, if... If your grandmother's been in Canada for 60 years and she was born in Italy, but now she needs, you know, retirement documents, but you know, she doesn't have the proper paperwork, blah, blah, blah. They'll help her. And if you are new to Canada from um, South America or God knows where um, New Zealand, Africa, India, they will help you get your kids set up in school. They'll help you get your health cards, all of that stuff. So they have a huge client list of everybody in Peterborough um, who is not, you know, 17 generations deep in Peterborough. What the Pete's are doing is they're reaching out directly and creating meaningful um, exposure points to the game. So not just inviting folks from the center and their clients to games, but also arranging for, here's some skates, here's some elbow pads, here's a helmet, some gloves, come on out to the Peterborough Memorial Center and try this game out. Because here's the thing, like hockey is really cool. There's some more breaking news, like it's fun. It's fun to do, it's fun to watch, it's fun to play. So come on out, get a look and you know, welcome home. Like this is a place that Peterborough's called home for what is it, 62 years now. You know, welcome home. Give it a try. Come on out. And the next chapter to that is connecting them with the Minor Hockey Association and sort of, you know, helping them navigate the system. I think those are two avenues, the Pete's example and the equipment bank, that that we can really address some of the issues that, you know, were hopefully explored in some depth in the book.
0: That's not the end of our chat with Sean Fitzgerald. More of it will be back tomorrow. So it's the second half of the Fancy Pants Book Club, and it's a special treat, as I promised. Uh, And we'll have more on that tomorrow. In the meantime, to follow him on Twitter, it is Sean Fitz underscore Gerald. To find his book, it is called Before the Lights Go Out, A Season Inside a Game on the Brink. You can also find his work at The Athletic. You can follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. Send us the keywords to LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. You can wait for all five and then send all five. That'll count as one entry. Uh, and in the meantime, if you want to follow Scott on Twitter, he's at Scott Matla. If you want to follow BM at The Active Stick and if you like this podcast, check out Lockdown LockedOnBets, where they've been absolutely killing it lately.